Walk in Your Excellence. I am your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening to this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. So, this is it. This is the season finale, guys. Hey. This is the season finale. I couldn't be more humbled by the last 12 weeks of my life. I mean, total transparency. I started this podcast three months ago. Not even three months ago. I started it um, March 5th was the very first ep- episode with Natasha Alford. And, you know, when my when my brother was murdered in, in December... I was just at a loss on like what I should be doing right now. I was uh, going to work was really difficult, having to stand in front of hundreds of students every day and still mm-hmm. smile and be a, a, a symbol of hope and optimism and, and still mourning my brother who literally stood by me in everything that I ever wanted to do, who mm-hmm. like loved on me like nobody else in life. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, going to singing competitions when I was in high school and he was the person in the back yelling like, that's my brother, that's my brother. And so a large part, the podcast came out of a sense of being lost, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the last 12 weeks of my life have been phenomenal. I have been Mm. able to get some amazing people into the studio. I've had a launch party. Um, I was invited to be in a Target commercial pretty soon. Like, there are so many things that have come out of this um, that I'm so proud of and so humbled. And I thank all of my listeners who tune in on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, We have reached our goal of 2,000 subscribers, even more now at this point. And so uh, I want to get to a point where I'm losing count. So if you are out there... I want you to share the podcast, talk about the podcast, contact me um, on Instagram, go to my website, get a Walk in Your Excellence shirt. The summer line is going to be coming out soon, so that's super exciting too. But first and foremost, I want to express my gratitude to my loyal, loyal listeners, the people who are really, really walking in their excellence every day and and just listening to the content that we create here, showcasing black excellence. If we aren't going to do it, then who is, right? Like we have to stand for our own people uh, and open up a platform for excellence to be shared because every day black people are walking around here slaying the game every in all day. arenas, mm-hmm. in education, in media, in mm-hmm. fashion, in branding and marketing, in, in hospitality, mm-hmm. in the healthcare industry, lawyers. Um, I, I, I know I told you guys this, but I'm currently in school to be Dr. Stevens now. Yes. And I'm super excited about that. I just started my journey. I'm four weeks in. Um, and in a short time, you know, they'll be referring to me as Dr. Stevens. And I think that's in and of itself is walking in my excellence. Mm. But I have invited a very special guest that you guys have heard from before. She is the amazing Maya Stone. She is one. Uh, she is the producer of Walking Your Excellence. Yay. She does all of the magic behind the scenes. And I've invited her to reflect a little bit on the first season we're going to share some of our magical moments from Mm. episodes some of the things we liked some of the things we might have hated who knows (laughs) um and this is all to gear us up for what you're going to hear um, right after this uh, segue. And you're, you're going to hear from one of my most amazing friends, the DeRay McKesson, who Ooh. is doing phenomenal things mm-hmm. uh, in the world of social justice and black excellence. So mm-hmm. welcome, Maya Stone. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's you a know, pleasure it's, to be back. It's always a pleasure to have you. Oh, you always. are the woman behind the scenes. So you have a different that perspective I than, than I have. I'm sort of like <laughs> trying to, you know, fumble and get show notes together. <laughs> and organize <laughs> guests and like Maya's like oh cool you need me in the studio let's let's make it happen and so you bring a sense of comfort everyone who knows Aww. me knows I'm super high strung and crazy <laughs> Um, but from the moment uh, I met Maya, this has been just such an amazing experience. Let's Yay. go back to like, Maya, tell me the moment you met me. Like, what did you Oh th- my God. I'm scared to ask this question. What did you think? So <laughs> I remember the first moment I met you was our phone call. 
Oh, when yeah, we yeah, had yeah. our consulting phone call before we were actually in studio. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. remember being like, he's so cute because you were so nervous. You were I like, so okay, so how do I plan? Like, what should I, I how should I write things out? How should I prep my guests? And I just remember <laughs> telling you, you know, just an outline usually helps if that, if if you if organize you that think, way, which yep, Sean is. <laughs> <laughs> Sean is very organized. Super he's taught me a. A, thing or th- a thing or two. And just being like, he's going to be fine. Once he gets past that first interview, he's going to be great. And that's mm-hmm. literally what happened. And then awesome. I get in studio and I'm like, first of all, he's popping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Outfit's always on point. Oh you come in here today with this fresh fade and this line. I, I see you over here. Oh, don't make me blush. <laughs> don't make me blush. Might make me like women. Hold up. <laughs> Oh, this podcast has definitely pushed me to be unapologetic about who I am. I As love you it. should be. I love, it. I love um, it. But just being like, you know what? Sean has a good energy about him. He's excited. He's serious about what he wants to do. This is mm. going to be good. And it's literally been that way th- this entire journey. You've, you've come with intention every single time you've come into the studio. Even when you were fine, you were nervous. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been nervous you would, a lot. You would come to a guest with a full outline <laughs> and be like, I haven't prepped your show like Sean, but you have... <laughs> 17 questions, four <laughs> paragraphs. Like, I think you're okay. And you're not even going to read those questions anyway. <laughs> I know. I've been freestyling it uh, for the most which, part. Which is best for content. Yeah. You know? I love um, it. But yeah, you bring out a, a raw energy in every guest that you talk to because you listen to them. Yeah. You listen to what they have to say and you feed off of that, which yeah. is more fruitful than you just reading off of a list of questions. Absolutely. You know? You have a connection with your guests. Mm-hmm. Um and you provide a space where they feel comfortable to share because we've gotten real in here. Like mm-hmm. they, people have shared real things, very Facts. deep things, Facts. things that they didn't think they were going to talk about, but ended up talking about. And it ended up being more fruitful for the show Absolutely. and for the people in the room, for them, you know. Um, so it's just overall just been an amazing experience. Yeah, and you sure. you've taught me a lot. Your, your guests have taught me a lot. I've been following all of them yeah, <laughs> and just kind of like it. getting their little tidbits and like um, and especially since I'm younger than most people that you mm-hmm. have come on the show mm-hmm. and just being like, OK, you know what? Natasha's doing dope things in media like there's hope for little on me, yeah, for <laughs> you sure. know, and I'm doing things and I'm out here, but it's sometimes it gets hard and you're like, I don't know if as a black woman in New York City, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you come across people that you find similarities with and it's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. And then you put out the show and a month and a half later, you have 1500 subscribers. So, you know, it's doing something. Oh, right. That's, that's so crazy <laughs> to me. That's so crazy. Right. To me. So it's like. All of this wasn't in vain. Yeah. Like, it all came with a pure intention. Um, shout out to your brother. May God rest his soul. Thank I know you. this is all for his memory. Yes. And I know he's proud. Uh. Um, because through his work in your life and his impact in your life, mm-hmm. you're sharing that with everybody that steps into this room and uh. that listens to the show. Thank you for that, Maya. Of course. So uh, of course. Let's reflect really let's quickly. Let's do it. So, I, so, the very first episode, Natasha Alford, yes. my homegirl, mm-hmm. TFA. Shout yes. out to Natasha. Thanks for coming on the show. And thank you for interviewing me. She interviewed me for yes. episode seven, she which did. was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, just a phenomenal woman who is doing amazing things. I've actually invited her to um, to be the keynote speaker at a very major Cute. event for our for our students nice. you know where we do this thing called signing day where our seniors finally mm. showcase to the world where they're committing to go to college for oh, the next four years that's fun and like with natasha's background of like have be, being a harvard graduate mm-hmm. of like going to journalism school mm-hmm. and then like changing careers being right. a teacher she just has such a multifaceted um i guess perspective on education and mm-hmm. like finding yeah. her passion that she i wanted her to share with us yeah with 
Um, so that was guest number one. Yeah. Do you remember Tanisha Fordham? I do remember Tanisha Fordham. Yes, one of my teachers. Miss Oscar. Yes, the Oscar <laughs> nominee. Yes. Uh, She's she, so popping. I love she her. She was so amazing. Yeah. And people just loved her. Black episode. Boy Fly. Yeah, yep. Black Boy Fly. Mm-hmm. Her her book, uh, mm-hmm. the, the kid play. So Tanisha, shout out to you. That was yeah. a really great episode. Thank you for coming out for episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my frat brother. <laughs> my frat brother. My baby. I love oh, him. Oh, <laughs> you actually, my, you actually, like, one of the quotes, you let, you can talk about Kenny a little I bit. I can talk about Kenny. So, Kenny Jones, which, shout out to the Jones family. That's, you know, my family as well. So, I feel like he's <laughs> kin to me. Yes. But, um, yeah, he came on and talked about a lot of things about uh, his weight loss journey, mm-hmm. um, which I learned a thing or two about that. Mm-hmm. I, um, one thing that um, Kenny said that struck that stuck out to me, which is a testament to where I am in my life mm-hmm. right now, is um, how I walk in my excellence every day is yeah. by walking in my filth yes, and just being that. one with it. Yeah, and then we have um, we have Mia Dumlat. Mia. She was uh, episode four. A lot of people loved your episode, Mia. Yeah, girl. If you're listening, the audacity audacity yields adversity. Like mm-hmm. we had a really great time. I'm having you as a guest, so yeah. thank you for those golden nuggets. Absolutely, my frat brother again, Chef Jeff. Chef Jeff out there cooking up something. You know the the Haitian from Brooklyn. Yes. He's known for his cakes, and mm-hmm. so that was amazing to have him on the show. Um, we have Kyla. We have Kyla Destiny. Kyla Destiny, the Patriots fan. The pa- remember oh, remember the when she walked in here <laughs> yes. that day? Oh my lord! With them two buns, we love you, Kyla. She had them two buns. She was all decked out on yes, Super Bowl she was. Sunday. She yes, was up she here was. in here with her family. It was mm-hmm. just great to see. And then there was me. And then there were you. There was you. Then there was me. Yeah, man. What reflections? I don't know. Talk to me, Maya. Oh, about my, it's weird to talk about my <laughs> own episode. <laughs> I mean, how did it feel to be on that side? Like, it to me, that was the first time I've heard bits of your story. Yeah, I think that's probably the most extensive that I've heard you talk about it mm-hmm. and you being so open about it. You've been through a lot. Yeah. Like, I know that you know this, but from the outside looking in, you've been through a lot. Yeah. And for you to be the way that you are, be so triumphant, mm-hmm. be so humble, and to still be so successful is really powerful. Oh, thank you for you know? that. So, yeah. yeah. On the other side, like, it was it was really weird. And I was so happy that I had Natasha to do it mm-hmm. because she's a great interviewer. Like, mm-hmm. that's what she does for the right. Rio. And um, she really brought out the best of me. Like, mm-hmm. I was reflecting on my episode. I've, of course, like, I'm, I, I want to pr- produce content that's, like, that's going to be out there forever. And, mm-hmm. like, I had to hear my own episode, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> I listened to it on the way to work. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay. I thought it was going to be terrible. But no. she really asked the targeted questions yeah. that, that got my authentic self out there. Mm-hmm. Um, You're and very I'm just candid. Hoping, yeah. Very candid. In a yeah. good way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, it, it does inspire someone. Mm-hmm. You know? It will. Yeah. It then has. we had Jerry Reed. We had Jerry Reed. The fashion designer. The guru. Yes. Um, we want some shirts, Jerry. If it you're sure listening. Sure do. Me and I Maya and I were just talking now. about it. Yes, we were just <laughs> talking about it. Yes. Um, but just him dropping uh, nuggets of just like the struggle of, you know, unemployment yeah. at certain times and building following your passion, building clientele. Mm-hmm. Like he's out there grinding. grinding. So listen to that episode, guys, if you haven't yet. about And go to Carnival. And go to Carnival, <laughs> of course. If you haven't like listened to it yet, he definitely inspires you to sort of like, hey, take that leap of faith and yeah. make it happen. Absolutely. And then the latter parts of the, the season, mm-hmm. you know, we have Veronica. We do. The hey, Latina, yes. the Latina principal who's doing great things in Newark. Everybody yes. wanna be you. Ya tu sabe. 
uh, we got Darnell Moore, whose book is now out. Yes, it is. Oh, I mean, no I ashes in the fire. No ashes in the fire. Yes. If you haven't copped it yet, you gotta go, do go that. get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about coming of age, uh, being black and free in America. I mean, I've known Darnell Moore for over a decade now. His work in Newark. His, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just an amazing educator and inspiration. He's my, like my my mentor. You know, unspoken mentor. Yeah. So, Darnell, I thank you for all the work that you've done Absolutely. for the world and what you've done for me personally. Um, one of my favorite. I mean, I guess I can't have favorites, right? Daughters A- and gentlemen. <laughs> Dennis. Oh, I have the luxury of seeing this man every day. He does great things you. for kids in my building. He's also my fraternity brother. Um, Dennis, we love you. He. Oh, I mean, Dennis, he just dropped so much knowledge. He I, did, and I, he I, gave a unique perspective about. Um, Something that's not really talked about, which is sexuality and religion or sexuality yeah. and uh, spirituality. Yes, yes. Yeah, Him being a, a, an ordained yeah. minister, mm-hmm. a black out gay man yeah. for most of his life. Yeah. Um, and and just growing that, up in the South, too. And growing up in the yeah. South, mm-hmm. very conservative. Very. Like, he's mm-hmm. still a country, loves him some South, went to right. HBCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have not heard his episode, episode 11, you got to get into it. Absolutely. Um, come, you know, he just reminds me of Paul Lawrence Dunbar and everything mm-hmm. that he's doing. And of course, the moment we've all been waiting for, the season finale. Yes. Which is coming up in just a few minutes yes. after this. Um, really quick segue, the DeRay McKesson, mm-hmm. um, who has just been like a powerhouse in this world. Yeah. Like he is someone who I've known for over a decade now and I work in Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And so you are a friend, you are a mentor, you are a brother. I appreciate all of your work that you do, DeRay, um, in the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and for black people in general. Absolutely. Um, continue to be the awesome example of excellence. And I'm so thankful to even have had you as a guest closing out for our season finale. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Maya, what are you looking for? And uh, you weren't prepared for this. Neither I was totally I. was You not. know, I, free- <laughs> I freestyle everything. Like my whole life is a freestyle. Um, <laughs> Maya, what 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 are you looking forward to in season two? Oh, God. Um, and season three and the future seasons together. Ooh. I mean, I think we're, on, we're off to a good start. We are. <laughs> we are. We have some good things in the works mm-hmm. for the future. I mean, the cop-out answer is more like authentic conversation. Not that they weren't mm-hmm. authentic to begin with, but I'm excited to just see, um, I don't know, just like more, the more people come in here, the the more different the perspectives get and the mm-hmm. more niche they get and the mm-hmm. more experience, like each experience is very special, mm-hmm. right? And like every, I think a common thing that e- theme that everyone has kind of drawn to is being yourself mm-hmm. and and really just living in your truth and just doing what you need to do for yourself mm-hmm. and to respect your boundaries and things like that. Yeah. Um so I'm excited to see how all of our guests kind of fit into that puzzle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um because it's ultimately leading to this big theme of walking in your excellence. Yeah. So I guess what I and I I wasn't even prepared to ask this question or even know my answer, but I mm-hmm. think what I'm looking forward to I'm still shocked. Like I'm really shocked that I have like this many subscribers, and it's not a lot of subscribers. But mm-hmm. I, I, but I feel like accomplished. I didn't, I didn't set any goals. Like I'm not doing yeah. this for love. I'm not doing this for notoriety. I'm not doing this to like be well renowned. No, not and, at like, all. You actually I'm pretty humble it. about it. I'm doing it, yeah, because I'm doing it just because I, I love it. Like yeah. I work like a dog like yeah. i'm always at work i yeah. love my kids like i'm not gonna ever not do anything right. uh, for my students but this has been an outlet for me yeah. this has more been like, just like mm-hmm. i want to come into the studio and like 
have fun yeah and talk to people yeah and create content that's gonna last mm-hmm. and if people listen great but then to, to know that like i have two thousand plus subscribers so far mm-hmm. is really really inspiring it's to amazing me. and i think i want to see it go further now Same like now. i'm kind of <laughs> like yeah i'm like oh wait people are listening and actually yeah. like i get random text i get random oh. emails i get random you know um instagram messages like oh my God, I heard this episode, this person's great, like you're doing amazing stuff. And those small moments like give me energy to wake up every day and work 17 hours a day. Mm. And so I'm just like inspired by my listeners. I really hope that you guys continue to take this podcast um, and share it with the world. And I'm just going to get more and more creative. I'm Mm going to find the best guests. I'm going to be working hard to give you guys meaningful conversation, authentic Mm -hmm. conversation, inspiring conversation, um, new thought-provoking um, just ways of looking at life, et cetera, in season two and season three. And mm-hmm. so I hope that you stay with me. Absolutely. I hope that it is um, magical for you as yes. it is magical for me. And always remember, obviously, walk, walk in your, your excellence. excellence. Thanks, guys. Walk in Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening to this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. Black Lives Matter is not just a hashtag. It is a movement, a movement that has changed the racial climate in America and empowered black people to step up, speak out, and be excellent in every way. Today's episode is a very special one for me because most people know him in the political sense, on television, radio, speaking at an engagement, on Twitter, on Instagram, but I know him to be a friend first. This man is revolutionary, inspiring, supremely brilliant, and hearing him speak is magical. DeRay McKesson is a movement in and of himself. He was a Teach for America Corps member and has formerly been a school administrator. He is an activist playing an instrumental role in shedding light on some of the events that have changed race politics in America through his organization of protests in Ferguson and Baltimore. In 2015, Fortune magazine put his name in the world's greatest leaders list. In 2016, he announced his candidacy in the race to become the mayor of Baltimore and is currently working on a ton of amazing projects that are impacting this nation in a grand way. He currently hosts the Crooked Media and Pod Save the People, and it is my honor to welcome my good friend to season one of Walking Your Excellence. DeRay McKesson. Hey, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited for the conversation we'll have today. Yes, absolutely. First, thanks for coming on the show. You are truly an inspiration, my brother. You drop so much wisdom and motivation. I'm thankful for, for having you here. Tell us who DeRay is. Yeah, you know, I'm mindful that I'm one of many people who stood in the street in August and September and October 2014. One of many people who was on the line to make sure that we brought attention to a crisis that was happening. You know, you think about three, four years ago, people thought there was a crisis in Ferguson. They didn't yet accept that there was a crisis across the country. Mm. And that took us a, a, a long time to get people to understand. Um, as you know, I you know, started as a teacher. We met a long, uh, 10 years ago now. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, went back home to Baltimore, opened up an after-school program. I was the number two in human capital in the school system. Went to Minneapolis, uh, helped lead human capital there. The protest started. I quit. And then I ran for mayor in Baltimore and, and stayed in the city. I still live in the city of Baltimore, and I was the chief of human capital here for the school system. So I just left that a couple months ago, uh, and I'm back to organizing at the national level. So it's powerful to travel across the country uh, to help people uh, do great things in their communities and to learn from people everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. Take us back even a little bit further. Talk to me about your, your childhood or upbringing, and how do you think that's influenced the way you perceive the world and the work that you do today? Yeah, you know, I think that... um. Yeah, I grew up in Baltimore. I was an organizer when I was young. So as a teenager, I was in student government from sixth grade to senior year in college. And, uh, and you know, both of my parents were addicted to drugs. 
Mm. And my father raised us and my mother left when I was three. In so many ways, I grew up in a community of recovery and, and like saw people put their lives back together, but saw it on scale because the city of Baltimore, addiction so real. So that changed mm. a lot for me. Like I saw people uh, sort of recover in ways that they didn't think was possible. I saw community help people out in their hardest moments. And then I saw communities do powerful things as an organizer. So that was that was big for me. And then I went to college and and came out a better reader, writer, and thinker, and then uh, mm. was a teacher. Nice, nice. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, like your your journey as a black man in America. Obviously, we both share that. And it's one thing to to be black in America, and then there's a different level of intersectionality when you add being a black man with even more oppression and marginalization. What do you do? You think that there will ever be a more asset based narrative for who the black man is in America? Yeah, I want, uh, can you tease out what you mean by asset based? Yeah, so I think that like there's a lot of you you know, they see the stereotypes and we talk about the school to prison pipeline and how 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 so many black men are, you know, incarcerated. There's very few positive nationally known. I mean, obviously, we have you and Barack Obama, but the rest of the nation, I personally feel like has created this deficit based narrative based on statistics, based on numbers, based on social media and don't acknowledge how amazing we actually are. Uh, and to me, that's where we are. Our country needs to get. And so I'm wondering if you ever believe that we'll, we'll be that space. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think the times are changing now that we can, uh, I think the times are changing in the sense that who gets to tell stories and the stories they get to tell mm. is just open in a way that it has never been open before. I think that we're able to see ourselves and see the complexity of blackness yeah. uh, through lenses that we control. And that is new. I think this is early, though, you know, like the shifts in representation have been dramatic, but they have only been they've only been this prominent for, what, two years. So mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that there'll be a generation of kids who are who are coming up, who now see blackness as a whole different way. You think about all the kids growing up whose first president was Barack Obama. That That's not insignificant. Yeah, yeah. Think about all the kids growing up who like grew up at a protest. They That's like a normal part of their childhood now is like being in the middle of the street. And like, that was not ours. So I think that we are, I think that the fruit of this might come a little bit later, but I think it'll come. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very, very inspirational. Tell me about uh, your, some of the projects that you're working on. I know that campaign zero is a really big one. Yes, yeah, so in general, you know, I think that the movement in three years has, uh, has shifted the conversation about race and justice and about identity in important and powerful ways. We know that that alone is not the win, but without that, we'll never get to structural change. So I think mean, that was incredibly important. When I think about what comes next, it is a focus on systems and structures. So mm. when you think about the work we do at Campaign Zero that we still do, it's about working with people at the local, state, or national level about like how do we change systems and structures to do right by people. So you think about in Florida, you know, there are 2 million ex-felons who can't vote. There are 6 million ex-felons in the country who can't vote. And again, 2 million live in Florida. It's like one in four black people in Florida can't vote. Mm -hmm. So working with organizers in Florida to, to change that law. There are other petitions initiatives that are happening that we're supporting on. You think about uh, what it means to be a felon, that if you ask a lot of people what it means to be a felon, they probably think of the most heinous crime. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that theft over $200 in Virginia is a felony. Wow. Theft over $300 in Florida is a felony. You lose the right to vote permanently in those states when you become a felon. So, like, how do we help people think about the stuff that's not necessarily sexy, but it's actually really powerful and important? So I'm interested in, I'm interested in those things as we think about what comes next. How do we actually alter the structure and fabric of society uh, now that we've changed the conversation? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so you just mentioned some of those things that, that I didn't know before. And I think that some of those things are really small, right? Being a, uh, arrested for something that small. Do you think that some of the laws that we have in America are specifically targeting black people? Yeah, we know that they're specifically targeting people of color, not just, uh, not that I think. So you even think about, um, according to federal crime statistics, it's about 12.5% of drug users are black, but it's like 33% of people arrested for drug use are black. Is that there's an overrepresentation in enforcement and an overrepresentation in the way laws are set up to, to impact communities differently. Mm-hmm. You think about drug free school zones are all bad, there's no drug free school zone policy that makes sense. Uh, and the short version of it is that when you criminalize, when you create a mandatory minimum within a thousand feet of a school or whatever, uh, most cities, the whole city is a drug-free school zone. You think about New York, you think about Memphis, you think about Baltimore, mm-hmm. is that there are not many places in the city where there isn't a school near. And that is specifically tied to the popul- like what it means that there are dense populations of people of color, that the laws don't have the same impact in rural communities where there are just white people. So. So we know there's no representation. I think what we also know today, though, is that we we now can uncover them and do the research about how we got here. And, you know, when people say the system is, is working exactly like it's designed, mm-hmm. that actually makes me really hopeful because that isn't a nihilistic or fatalistic thing to me. That reminds me that people did this and because people did it, we can undo it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you talked a little bit about uh, schooling. And I know that we, we started as educators. I want you to take us back 10 years when you were in the classroom, when you were a Teach for America Corps member uh, and standing in front of students every day. What prompted you to, to, to leave the classroom? You know, I left, uh, you know, I, I, I left the classroom. I didn't leave kids. Mm. So when I think about teaching, teaching was one of the most important things that I've ever done. I was a very good teacher. My kids did very well. And at the second, after the second year, all my kids got at least either a four, half of them got a four, half of them got a three. Everybody passed the test. They did really well. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to figure out how we made sure that every kid had a great teacher, and I couldn't do that in the classroom. Gotcha. So I left the classroom, opened up an after-school program, but then went back to the school district to work in human capital. And before that, I, I trained and supported a third of all the new teachers in the city of Baltimore. But it was trying to figure out, like, how do we make sure everybody has a great teacher every day in every classroom? And I needed to work at the system level to mm-hmm. impact scale. Do you, do you see yourself ever going back into the classroom? Yeah, like I said, I think I'll go back to the classroom at some point. Um, you know, I love teaching. I, I don't. I, high schoolers, I don't really get. Like, I don't really get above sixth grade, seventh and above. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. But, <laughs> but, um, but like six and below, I get. Six, I really get. Mm. I, I've wanted to. I, I've always been impressed with elementary school teachers. So maybe I'll go teach in elementary school at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely. I think seven to twelve, I just don't understand as well. Yeah, I'm the complete opposite. You couldn't pay me enough to go into elementary. I do not understand it at all. That's why I'm the principal of a high school. Um, But I I want you to take us through some of your experiences um, on the ground, like grinding and in in protest. There's a there's a visual that sticks out in my head. I remember um, I'm not sure what year it was. It might have been last summer or last year, but you were protesting in Louisiana, I believe. And I just see you on the ground in your in your in your blue vest. And you were in handcuffs. Talk to me about that experience. I never sit in the street before. So many people who never challenged the government or the police, and they did it. And I'm proud that I stood to help them think about how to do that work, and I'm still in contact with them. And that's been the case both there and across the country. You think about Baltimore, you think about uh, Charleston, you think about some communities where it was important that so all of us came together to push and challenge a system that was killing people. 
Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Now, uh, there's also something that stuck out to me when I was reading a little bit about you. It's, it's a phrase that says, come out of the quiet. And I'm not sure where you said it, but that phrase personally has changed my life. What does it mean? What does that phrase mean to you and for the people? Yeah, it was about being gay. And, you know, I was never, people would ask, like, oh, when did you come out? And it's like, I never came out of the closet. Like, just because you didn't know doesn't mean I was hiding. Mm. I came out of the quiet. Like, you, you understood it for the first time. And uh, and it doesn't mean that I have to say I'm gay in every room I walk in. It doesn't mean that it's less real because I don't have a poster about it in my in my uh, car or mm-hmm. in my book bag. And that's I was giving a speech about what it means to come out of the quiet. And I think about you know, a speech I gave at, at a GLAD conference, but I talk about so much of the movement was people also coming out of the quiet. Like just because you didn't know that they cared about this issue doesn't mean that it wasn't real for them. They just needed a moment to say it. And, and I think about the movement as a place where, like, so many people uh, didn't realize that they had a voice, but they've always had a voice, and they used it. Or so many people didn't understand the power that they had, and they learned that power. And that was really beautiful to watch and to be a part of. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And I know that you obviously are heavily involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, and it is Black History Month. And I'm thinking about how to um, really have an amazing celebration of life and of excellence this year with my with with my high school students. I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom for the the young high school um, kids who are are living in a world that like we didn't live in a couple of years ago, which has changed so much. Social media has impacted, like you said, the stories that are being told. What bit of advice do you have for high school students um, who are living, living this life now? Yeah, be curious is that there are so many things to be involved in in so many ways that you can challenge systems and structure so many ways for you to show up, but it all requires that you know something about the issue. Mm-hmm. So be curious and uh, never stop asking questions. I think that, the reason that I got into this work at the beginning was like, I wanted to know why this happened and I wanted to know why that happened. I wanted to know why this, and there's so many people that take this world as it is and mm-hmm. it just has to be this way, but it's in being curious and asking questions and sort of pushing a little bit more that you realize that people made this because people make it, we can make it a little better, but you can only make it better if you understand it. Yeah, absolutely. So pushing this idea that you have to understand it, you got to, you have to be knowledgeable. Um, that is amazing. And so I want you, I want you to talk to me a little bit about, um, your experience, what, what has been your most memorable experience in the last, I want to say, five years? There have been a lot uh, in Ferguson. In August, September, and October of 2014, it was illegal to stand still. As we just told, for more than five seconds, we were arrested. It's an experience that all of us remember. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, seeing people find their way and become organizers and become activists and learn how to plan, like that was just I, being a part of that and it, being somebody myself who understood my power differently in that moment, like that was really incredible. And I, I think I, there are very few things that have happened in the past five years that uh, that rank in terms of being impactful on me. Yeah. I'm interested in uh, your thoughts on the phrase uh, colorblindness. I think that like America believes that we live in this post-racial place and it's like cloaked in American values of, of uh, I guess a we. Re- we have this idea or philosophy or mindset that we don't see race, we see people. And what do you think about that? We know that people's uh, identity is, is a big part of who they are and that uh, color is a part of that. So it's easy to live in a world for white people where they're like, oh, I just see you as a person, but there's no way to see me as a person and not see my race. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so out of, out of all the many things that you have accomplished in your life, and I know sometimes as, as people who are, are leaders or have accomplished a certain level of quote unquote success, however we define that, don't usually take a second to step back and probably don't really like talking about themselves. But I really want you to describe to us or tell me about the something that you are supremely proud of. Uh, <laughs> you know, if anything, I'm proud of using the, you know, I have a big platform and I know the platform doesn't exist just for me. It exists so that we can figure out how, how to win. So I'm proud when I have been able to use the platform to amplify the voices of other people. And, and there've been many cases where like, I don't have the best way to say it, or I don't really know how this happened, but I can find people who do and, mm-hmm. and I can amplify them. So I'm proud of, I'm proud of that. And I'm, I'm proud of like being a part of teams of people who, have really like pushed beyond belief. You know, there have been a lot of times where like we weren't supposed to succeed or we weren't supposed to, uh, you know, make our way out of this, but we did. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of my friends. I'm proud of the people that I've been close to for the past three years, the past five years, the past decade, and who helped me uh, remember myself and our purpose. Awesome. That's powerful. And we are, of course, proud of you. Did you always know that you were going to be uh, an, an activist when you were growing up? I always knew that this world could be better than it is today, and I wanted to figure out my role in that. Mm. And uh, this is this is my role right now, right? I, you know, being a teacher was my role. You know, at one point, opening up the after school center uh, was my role. At another point, uh, and doing this work right now this way is my role right now. And I'm, I'm sure something will change in the next ten, twenty years. And I'm just excited to be uh, doing my part. Yeah, absolutely. And if you had to give your your own older young, I mean, well, younger Deray advice, what advice would you give like the eighteen year old, twenty one year old Deray? Mm, I think I, you know, I I don't think I have any new advice for him. I think that my like twelve year old self, I would have reminded to like imagine and dream and read more and just like don't. Um, I would have reminded my 12-year-old self that, like, dreaming is actually a, a real skill and a real power and not something that you, like, hide and go do. That, like, the imagination is not something you sneak off and engage, but it's something that you actively engage. That's what I would have told my 12-year-old self. By 18, I understood that, but my 12-year-old self, I didn't. Awesome. Nice, nice. And so the this next question is probably going to be a little comical, but like, what are you, you're, I feel like you're good at so many different things. Like uh, you're good at almost everything. And I'm wondering what is the thing that you feel you're not good at? I think that I'm still, you know, I, I have a lot to learn about some of the theory around race and justice and what solutions look like. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm still, uh, I think we're all still growing about like uh, the language you use and what power looks like and how it shows up. So I'm still a student of so many things and, you know, we know that protest is not the answer, that protest creates space for the answer. So, mm-hmm. so like trying to think about how we shift from the moment where we were in the street to a moment where we're in many places, like the boardroom and, and at the table and, and in the streets and in the position. So trying to think about that, you know, where this space hasn't existed before, especially with us having technology in this way. So I think I'm still learning and growing in a host of ways. Yeah. And, and so like, I, I know that I, I no longer struggle with this, but you know, as a, as a high school principal, um, I'm, I'm in a world in which like it's heavily dominated, especially the charter school movement in, um, young white women who are, you know, leaders and powerful white men who are CEOs of, of charter networks, et cetera. And I use the phrase of like the white architects of, of black education. I'm wondering if reflecting on your time as an educator, did you ever feel that, um, sort of like that your hands were tied, that there was only a certain level of, um, you know, position that you could get in the world of education? 
because of who no, you are? No, I, di- I didn't, you know, no, my principals are black. You know, superintendent I work for is black. So, like, mm. so no, I didn't experience that. I do, you know, and from a system level, I'm mindful that 80% of the teachers in the teaching force are, are white. Exactly. That, that we haven't actually done honest work around the teacher pipeline, that people attack Teacher America or the fellows program mm-hmm. and won't mm-hmm. be honest about the failure of our universities in preparing teachers. That it's actually like a wholesale look at uh, teacher prep that we need to do. And we haven't done that. So, like, you know, we could recruit differently for teachers. We could, there are a host of structural pipeline things that we could do to just change uh, the narrative and the reality of, like, who actually becomes teachers. And and there are people who give lip service to that that don't actually put any umps behind the work. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so I want to hear a little bit about now what you're currently working on and what you're most excited about, some of the projects that you're you're leading that are going to be impactful. It's all about systems and structures now. I think that the language piece we've done, mm-hmm. I think that we'll continue that, like how to make sure people understand how to talk about the world they live in, the identity that they exist in and what that looks like. I think the next part is like how do we take this up that's not very sexy, like the teacher pipeline that's not just pipeline programs, and help people understand that they can be experts on that bail, uh, criminal justice, the racial wealth gap, there are a host of those issues, but it's all about the structural stuff. So how do we package that in a way that people can understand? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, tell us how you walk in your excellence every every day. I just try to show up with one foot in front of the other foot uh, and do the work that I think I'm called to do. So, you know, it's not always easy. It's not always uh, fun. Uh, but I take seriously this idea of like doing the work that I think calls me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and where can we find you? I'm Dre on Twitter, D-E-R-A-Y. And that's really the best place to find me. Awesome. Or awesome. the podcast, Pate the People, comes out every Tuesday. Awesome. I, I, we didn't even touch on the podcast. Like, tell us, tell us about Pod Save the People. It comes out every Tuesday. It's me, uh, Brittany Packnett, Samuel Sinyangwe, Clint Smith Third. We do the news at the beginning, and then I interview people. We've had some great guests like um, John Legend, a host of people. So nice. comes out uh, every Tuesday. And, you know, the goal was to, to talk about the news in a way that people can understand, not mm. just focusing on uh, Trump, but also thinking about equity and justice issues in a way that there was not something doing that before. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I uh, want to thank you, Dore, for coming on to the show and sharing a little bit of uh, the life that you are leading right now and impacting so much. Keep doing the amazing work. Uh, and we are happy, happy, happy to have you on the show. DeRay, the educator, the activist, the revolutionary. Thanks, folks, for listening. And this is your host, Sean Larry. Until next episode, define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and remember always to walk in your excellence. Thanks, DeRay. Cool. Talk to you later. Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22 at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S-E-A-N-L-A-R-R-Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence.